Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are so thankful you're here with us. I know we say that a lot, but we really do mean it. We so appreciate that you're tuning in to listen to this episode, which is going to be a wrap-up of our Food Insecurities series. Now, before we get into all of that, I'm going to back up because I like to start talking and then (laughs) rewind. Uh, If you like our show, please share it with a friend. That really helps us grow and get the word out and get more feedback from y'all. So we would Greatly appreciate that. And also consider leaving a review or a rating and sign up for our newsletter. (laughs) Or both. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to pick one. Um, And signing up for our newsletter is a great way to get nice little concise recaps of our shows. I've had lots of people say, I get your newsletter. And I, I didn't have a chance to like listen to the whole show or read the whole thing, but I get to browse it. And I'm like, well, that's good. You're opening it. And that really helps us. So go to our website, gobehindtheballot.com, and you can sign up there. So stay connected to us because we want this to be a nice communal experience where we are learning from each other. That's how we're going to make Texas better. Absolutely. Right. That is the model. That is exactly the model. Yes. Yes. We love to learn from our friends. We do. Oh, wait. And you know what? Quick plug along these lines. I was listening to another show. I can name it, right? There's no, because this is a compliment. Um, I was listening to 1A on your recommendation, Claire. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of randomly picked an episode and they were doing an episode based on a listener suggestion. So somebody had written in and wanted to talk about actually politeness and manners and etiquette. And so then they wound up framing a whole show around it. And I thought, oh my gosh, we would completely do that. Yeah. Um, so yes, please stay in touch. Yes. Yes. It is helpful to know. Cause like we're going off of like what we kind of think is of the moment and what we're curious about, but we want to check in, take a temperature. What do you guys think? So let us know. We also have a spot where you can leave us a little message and tell us your thoughts. So Reach out is what we're saying. (laughs) Communicate with us. (laughs) We would love to hear from you. Yes. Okay. Well, now that all of those announcements are out of the way, we are going to be recapping our food insecurities series. So if y'all have been with us, you will know that Nicole and I have been digging deep into trying to understand food insecurity in Texas. What are the causes? Why are one in eight Texans food insecure? How do we make it a better system? And- Why has this been such a persistent problem? And uh, it's an interesting topic because I don't know that we would have picked this on our own. We were, I think, a little guided to consider taking it up Um, because as a reminder, Nicole and I had a really fantastic panel at South by Southwest that was titled Hunger Games, Who Was Winning in Our Broken System? And the focus was on shining a light on food insecurity in this state to make sort of a bigger case about what food insecurity looks like in, in America. And we learned so much from our panelists, but then we wanted to keep going further. So we interviewed many folks for this series, learned a lot about um, inequality and 
just so many of the things that contribute to this persistent problem. That's really the best way to put it. Um, and we're going to share some of the things that we took away from these episodes. So let's kick it off and talk about the first interview we had, our first guest interview, which was with Adam Johnson. And uh, Adam Johnson has a podcast. It's called Citations Needed. It's a media criticism podcast that him and his co-host do, I think it's every week. And uh, I've been listening to his show forever. They talk a lot about inequality and the way the media portrays these inequalities. And uh, they're just so thoughtful. And he's so like, well read. I don't know. He has such a like a holistic bird's eye view understanding of this. So I was like, I think Adam would be really cool to give us just a broader understanding of inequality, basically. And he said yes. And he came onto our show and he shared a lot of great things with us. So um Nicole, share a few things that you picked up from that conversation and then I'll chime in with my key takeaways. Yeah. Well, okay. Happy to do that. Um, I told Claire before we got started, I like to do this thing when we do these recaps, which is kind of have a word for each episode. And so for me with Adam, my word was framing, right? He just completely, and their show actually does such an incredible job of really looking behind the story to talk about the framing, how, what assumptions are we supposed to just, you know, come into a story with, um, that affect how it is framed and they really shine a light on that. So for, for me, I would say what Adam has done is really open up my eyes to the ways that stories are framed and the assumptions that I'm expected as a reader and a consumer to just have coming into it. And so he's so great. They are so great on their show at really exposing that framing. And so, um, that was a huge takeaway for me and also made me think much more broadly about this topic um, in terms of poverty, right? That this this is just a symptom of a bigger problem that needs addressing. And while it is so important that we get people fed, that the other huge part of it is that we actually deal with poverty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that word framing. And I love that Adam... And I think his show, they, they, it's, it's kind of like about the why. Like, I think like, well, why do we have food insecurity? And the media offers answers about why that is, but they don't feel true a lot of the time or comprehensive or complete. And his show really helps you step back and say, what is it that the media is telling you about the why? And, and is that accurate? So I've noticed even myself just being a little bit more critical of some of the stories I'm starting to hear and saying, wait a minute, I don't know if I like this kind of built-in framework that I'm being given. So it's helped me to have a more critical eye, which I really appreciate. And some of the narratives that we hear again and again regarding poverty and which leads to food insecurity uh, many of the times is this idea that the poor can't be too comfortable, that we just don't have um, a floor here in America for people who who are poor, um, we we've had we've created an economy where people have to have a job just to meet their basic needs, and a lot of the times those jobs don't provide enough to cover those basic needs, and it's just this vicious cycle that is what it is what it is, and 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 the media kind of accepts it, but it's like wait a minute. Maybe we could make a floor. So uh, it helps you start thinking in a different way. And then you can think of different solutions because of that reframing that Adam really emphasized. Um, Another thing that I'm like 
noticing more and more is this idea of perseverance porn. He mentioned how a lot of times in the media we'll hear these stories about, well, they're supposed to be heartwarming stories, but like this this young kid, you know, needed to pay for his dad's surgery, so he decided to double up his newspaper route or whatever. And people are like, oh, isn't that so sweet? Instead of saying like, whoa, what? How come this dad can't get his surgery? And why is it so expensive that this kid has to bust his butt to make it happen? Why don't we have universal health care? So it's really interesting uh, identifying, like putting labels to those things that we see again and again. Yeah, there's so much to say about Adam's episode. I'm, I just want to say, I think, one more thing. And then I, I know I'm going to make myself <laughs> stop because I know we could just go on and on and on. But yeah, the other thing I was thinking about too is and you touched on this is like how big media plays into these really accepted narratives. And then, and we then do too, we just sort of consume them as being perfectly normal, like that story example you just gave. And I think what can be really difficult is that many people who continue to perpetuate that kind of narrative are doing it with best intentions they don't necessarily realize what it is that they are continuing to, you know, perpetuate. And mm-hmm. so that can also be really difficult. It's like I could I could feel somebody's defensiveness if they read that story and felt touched by it, because how could you not feel touched by it? And and feeling defensive, like we're sort of like criticizing them. But, it, you know, there's a bigger criticism, which is big media. <laughs> Yeah, I I think you can also hold both. You can be touched like, wow, this child has such a big heart to do this thing for their family and also be like, this is messed up (laughs) that this kid has to do this. Wait a second. Yeah, it can be both. And yeah, so um, Adam's episode was incredible. Very dense. Lots of information in there. Uh, So He talks really fast as a warning for anybody who hasn't listened yet. Like you would need to prepare your ears and brain for some really fast talking that is very dense, filled with big vocabulary words, Mm -hmm. but certainly worth it. So worth it. Okay, let's move on to our interview with Lawson Picasso. And uh, Lawson Picasso was on our South by Southwest panel. And I'm so glad that we were able to get in touch with Lawson because when Nicole and I knew we wanted to do this panel, something that we were really intentional about was having someone in the conversation who actually had an experience being food insecure. I feel like a lot of times I'll go to panels discussing homelessness or like these big difficult topics. And I'm like, uh, where's a person who's actually been through this? And they're not there. And I'm like, that's a mistake. Who better to speak about this and the solutions, what worked, didn't work, than someone who's been through it? So when we were putting the panel together, one of the first people we had confirmed was Celia Cole. We'll talk about her in a bit, This the CEO of Feeding Texas. And she said, you know what? Let's try to get in touch with Lawson Picasso. She has a compelling story, and now she is a voice for holistic systemic changes she testified at the White House Conference for Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. So she was just like primed for this. And she was incredible. Like the fact that um, she went through such a difficult time in her life and she came out of it not saying, well, I overcame so you can, but saying it was really hard and we should find a way to make it easier. So let's consider doing these things instead of these other things that clearly have failed because hunger is still with us and it hasn't gotten better. So Lawson is a super advocate and such a fan. But so Nicole, 
what are your thoughts? Mm. My word for Lawson was relatable. Uh, She did such a great job of showing what it looks like to be in a precarious position, right? In, um, In a very relatable way. And and demystifying things, some of, of what one could assume it's like. I think it's really easy to think that to be living on the razor's edge looks like you're homeless, you're not working, you, um, you know, can't eat, you don't have a car. All these things, I think that would be really easy to assume. But what she does is really, you know, kind of break that stereotype open to show that you can be working your tail off and still come up short, you know, not be able to afford rent, not be able, you know, to make ends meet. And so, yeah, my word for her is relatable. And she really shares it in such a way, I think, that is really empowering. I'm trying to think of the right word to describe how she does it. But there's there's no kind of poor me when she could, like legitimately could sort of have a, a a way of looking back on that time of her life with, you know, some sadness and resentment, but she doesn't at all. She, it's, it's really a, a, it's fuel, I think, for how she looks at the world now, why she advocates for the people that she advocates for. So yeah, Lawson's, she was such a great guest and relatable is my word for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you hear her story and it makes me think, and I'll back up for a second. When Nicole and I were thinking about this topic more deeply, uh, we felt like it was something that just feels very invisible. Like you, like you hear the statistic, one in eight Texans is food insecure, which is a lot of Texans. And I'm like, but is it really that bad? Because we tend to kind of live in our bubbles with people who are kind of in the same socioeconomic status because we live in our neighborhoods and our kids go to the schools, zone to our neighborhoods, and we drive around and go to the stores close by to us. So if you're of a certain class, it can feel like, mm, really, is this so bad? But then you hear Lawson's story and Lawson talks about how she was working at Hooters and she was living in her car and Hooters actually ended up being a, a good fit for her because they provided a gym membership. So she was able to take a shower and get her makeup done. And then it's like, wait a minute, like when I'm going to the grocery store, or I'm going out to eat, like, could this person in front of me be in that same situation? And it's probably the case that they could. So I, I think to just recognize that we have to be just more aware of it, um, more generous with people, I guess, is what I'm I'm starting to realize and to uh, do what I can to just share the wealth a little bit. Like, like if I'm going to get some coffee, like, and I can tip a little extra, why not? Just like, this is a tough job. I'm sure it's not paying a lot. And to be more giving is, is kind of what I, something I'm taking away from that conversation. Um, Another thing, too, that Lawson really talked about and sort of that I was talking about at the beginning was the idea of having the right people at the table. But she was describing it from the position of policymaking, how we look at our legislature and we've talked about this before, but they don't those positions do not pay a living wage. They pay like seventy two hundred dollars a year. So who are in those positions? Rich people most of the time because you have to have wealth from somewhere to take a low-paying job like that. And they have a big blind spot because they're not around folks that are dealing with this razor's edge precarity. 
over and over and over. So I love that she was like, we need to change who's in power. And we're like, yes, we do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Any last thoughts on Lawson, Nicole? No. Okay, then let's move into our conversation that we had with Celia Cole. So Celia Cole is a CEO of Feeding Texas. And Feeding Texas um, is sort of like the umbrella for the other food banks here in Texas. So they help coordinate where food should go. Um, Right, Nicole? Right, yeah. And they (laughs) advocate in the legislature and help to shape policy. Yes. And Celia shared with us that she's been doing this work for 25 years, trying to eliminate hunger in Texas. And here we, here she is 25 years later, still trying to solve this problem, which just reminds us again, like a lot of the things that we do are not solving the root of the problem. That phrase came up a lot, like the root of the problem. It's like, well, why can't we get to the root? We're just sort of uh, putting Band-Aids and stop gaps. But the root of the problem is so much deeper. It is, it is, this isn't about, it is about food insecurity, but it's really about poverty. Because something Celia said again and again that I love and rings in, in my head is that, um, okay, I'm going to lose it. That hunger is a money problem. That's what it was. Hunger is a money problem. Uh, and that's why folks are in that place is, is, a, is a matter of resources. Money gets prioritized some of the times for bills, um, gas, and hunger. You can kind of get by maybe being a little hungry that day, and it can fall to the bottom of the priority list. But <laughs> we all need food. Hello. Like, what, this is something we learn as children. What are, like, the basics you need to survive? Food, water, shelter, connection <laughs> with people. Um but Celia was so helpful in explaining what the landscape looks like in Texas, what are some of the benefits available to people, the federal benefits, the big program we have is SNAP, um, and then how her organization helps fill those gaps for people because SNAP is supplemental. It is not meant to provide the needs for folks, so you have to supplement with things like food bank banks. So it it's just tough if you're if you're needing support because we don't make it easy. What's your word, Nicole? I know. Well, I just changed it. I had front lines, but that feels kind of weird because that's not necessarily Celia is not on the front lines, but I know that her organization is. So maybe I'll keep that actually. I also was just about to switch it to stopgap. And that's what you were just touching on. The idea that this is, um, it's meant to be, food banks are meant to be a service that fills in the gaps, that they are not meant to be used long-term. And I also remember when her, um, communications person, guy, Wesley. Wesley. Is that, is that his name? Yeah. Awesome. Wesley was saying, I think it was him that said that, or maybe it was Celia, both of them were saying that the truth is when you run a nonprofit, like they do, that you're actually trying to put yourself out of business. Like your hope is honestly that you, you know, provide solutions, get support for solutions that mean that you are no longer necessary. And I thought that that was a really interesting perspective and made me kind of pause and think, oh my gosh, I guess you're right. I, you know, they're problem solvers. They want to see hunger not be a problem so that food banks are not even needed at some point. So um, I thought that was that was really interesting. She was really good at, at showing the overall framework of what it's like to 
to be food insecure in the different services that, that people can access with often needing those some guidance and help because it can be complicated and requires other things, right? Like it's awesome that a lot of these forms that people need to fill out are online, but of course then that begs the question. And then how do you have access to the internet, right? There's, mm-hmm. she was really good at helping to helping me to understand what are the barriers and how they address those barriers that people face to get the services that they need. So, yes, yes. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to go down it. Um, the thing I think about is, well, let's say you don't have broadband access and you need it to apply for these benefits. Where would you go? I would go to the library. However, some of our libraries are also under attack. So if we lose that public good, it's like what other dominoes fall? So I think it's just important overall to be mindful of the need for a strong uh, public goods system here in America because they they all we all the, the way we've structured it it kind of all stacks on one another so we can't let one fall because that could have these ripple effects on people that need things the most so absolutely uh, I, and I that like having that. those benefits available benefits us all even if you currently yeah. are not in need yes right like I, I think. there's just, there can be so much self-centeredness and selfishness when folks think about the destruction of, of these services and these institutions. When the truth is that that has such a broad benefit that you cannot ignore how necessary it is. And also this might come up again, but something I was thinking about again, as we were talking about Lawson, is that she reminded me of the times in my life that I have so easily forgotten about because I'm in a more stable position at this point in my life. But there was a time in my life where my internet access was the library. I did not have a laptop. We did not have internet service at our house. And that is what I would do. I would go to the library. You know, you have your little log on, you sign up for your time, you wait for your name to come up on the computers and, you know, it tells you which computer you get to go use. And it was usually in 45 minute increments. You know, I had my little, you know, credit card thing system so that I could print off if I needed to make, um, you know, copies there. I mean, it, I, I think it is just really true that we all have times in our life Many of us, not all of us, but many of us have times in our life when we do need these services. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, let's just not ignore, even if you don't need it now, remember that there maybe was a time. Yeah. And even if that's not true for you, that it benefits you, that other people have access. Right. And something too, like with Lawson, I think she said that um, when we make these social programs weaker and someone is in that state of emergency, it's so much easier to keep falling deeper and deeper into it when they can't have that immediate boost that they need. And if they have that boost and they can get back and do the things they need to do. But instead of that, they're looking at a situation where it's like, oh no, like I can't pay my food and now my lights are out and now my car's repossessed. Like it can really spiral fast. But if we can jump in, make that correction and help them get back on track. How much better? It might cost a little bit more in that immediate, but who cares? Because long-term, that's the better model for everybody. And it's probably more affordable. So 
Yeah. We know this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I have a feeling we're, let's roll into Lori Green, but I think some of the Celia things are going to like weave into that as well. 100%. Um, That's yeah. why I've been, like tried to be <laughs> mindful. Like don't, you don't need to say it all in one time because there's so many themes that repeat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Lori Green is a professor at UT and she was not able to be on our panel, but she spent a lot of time with us helping us understand the history of hunger in America leading up to the panel. And then she was on the podcast and she's just such a wealth of knowledge. I'm like, can I go audit your class? Like, I really loved everything she taught us, all the resources she provided. Um, she's the one who mentioned this uh, CBS documentary, Hunger in America, that we recapped in a, another episode that really helped us understand where we got now regarding hunger. Some of the, and just gave us this like really great timeline on how America solved quote unquote hunger in the past and also discovered hunger quote unquote in the past. And, uh, these like moments in time, uh, yes, there's so much. Well, what's the word that you have, Nicole? I'm curious. I know. Right. Shout out to Dr. Green, who I'd love to just call Lori, you know, she's my <laughs> great friend. Um, context, I context was my word for, for Dr. Green because she provided the context, right? She, everything really, it felt like the puzzle pieces really came together with our discussions with her. And as you mentioned, she was so generous with her time and resources. My goodness, we had, you know, a, a talk with her that wasn't recorded. That was just us sort of getting to know each other and, and her providing <laughs> step one of our education where she shared more resources that then we could go read and watch. And I mean, it was just, she provided so much to provide that context for us. And, but then also what I just adore about her, she really opened my eyes to framing, you know, pushing back a little bit or pulling back a little bit to the Adam conversation her framing is really, really, I don't know that it's unique, but it is not something that I had stopped to think about in terms of how I look at history. And the way that she includes the voices of advocates, how I think I had this idea, I guess, that history was sort of almost like it wasn't active. Like it, it's this passive thing that just sort of happens to people. Yeah. And like big events are just like, it's these coincidences that of events that all just maybe sort of happen, you know, in these timelines. But what she really did for me was help me see that that is not a very accurate representation of how history works, that there are advocates and people who, especially in these cases, are suffering and who are you know, sort of shouting in the ways that they can shout and making people pay attention to the things that need to be paid attention to. And that framing was fascinating for me and really has made me rethink how I look at historical events. Agree. Yeah. You're actually making me think, I feel like I had this assumption that in the government, they just sort of deal with things like, okay, we figured out this thing. Let's move on to this thing. And it's like, it's not at all like that. It's like, kind of the squeakiest wheel gets the grease. And she did highlight how when it came to hunger, 
it was a lot of the advocates who were leading the charge and saying, this is a big problem. Come see it. They invited legislators to come visit these hometowns where, in some cases, babies were dying of malnutrition and starvation. Same with children. People were having very short lives because of the things they were eating. And it was an awakening point for those policymakers because they were like, oh, my goodness, you're right. This is a problem. And we have the power to do something about it. And the advocates were like front and center, pushing, pushing, pushing until they finally got some attention. And I, I think it's a good reminder that that's what we still have to do today. A lot of you know big corporate business interests have lobbyists who do this for them. But when it comes to things like this, it's just it's like it's the community organizer, the neighborhood person who is having to make the case and and fight for those who who really need the resources. And, and a word she said that has really been in my head is retrogression. This idea, and this is like a bigger talk about democracy, but that we're going to tend to slip to retrogression to policies that um, are not forward moving without that fight, that we can't just take things for granted, that it is a, it's like a muscle. You got to work it. You, it, It's going to atrophy if you do nothing. And I think it's a helpful reminder that this is constant work because it's also work we've learned that people get really burnt out on. But to remember it's a marathon, like, like you do what you can do and then the next person will do it. And then the next, because that's how it's always been. And I like having those reminders because I think in the moment you can feel like, oh my God, the world's on fire. It's like, but this is how they probably felt 50 years ago, hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. It's just, this is our moment and we're going through that experience. But when you look back, you're like, okay, I can kind of see the echoes of where we are now. So yeah, it was so great having a historian give us their perspective. So important. So important. And, and you know, it, it seems counterintuitive, but I know that for me, knowing about the past has, I felt really challenged to ground myself in the present, right? Exactly what you were just saying then to realize, wow, things feel really heightened and crazy right now. And that is how I'm sure it, yes, it felt in the, you know, the late sixties. And so like really pay attention to the present and call attention wherever we can be advocates wherever we can, because we don't want this moment to pass without some sort of progress. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah she's great. And I and, know that- oh, and a reminder too, that the heroes often go unsung. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's true. Uh, and I think too, also remembering, cause we can be like, oh, why has there been no progress? But when you look back, you're like, actually there has been pretty good progress when it comes to this issue. It's not gone by any means. Um, but one thing I'll mention that we learned from Lori was the um, surplus food, surplus food commodities program, which is fascinating because it was this program that was created to help farmers farmers had, the government was wanting to sort of artificially inflate prices of certain commodities like sugar, flour, lard. So they would buy back excess and then give it to hungry people. So they were like, hey, check, check, you know, we help the farmers, we help the poor people. But it's like, uh, wait a minute, those foods are not healthy. So there's a lot of malnutrition happening. I thought that was fascinating. And then also learning from Celia Cole, I didn't know this until our panel, but 
food banks kind of came about the same way. It was like grocers and folks who had excess food. They were like, we should do something with this. Oh, let's give it away to poor people. Like it's so backwards the way this has been constructed. But here we are. (laughs) Yeah, we keep seeing the market being prioritized over people, which is like, hmm, I don't think that is a good model for a healthy society. Perhaps we could flip that upside down, prioritize people over the market. That might be, that might be a good way to move forward. Yeah. I mean, we could. Call me radical. (laughs) Exactly. (sighs) Exactly. Uh, All right. Well, Lori was fascinating. Mm. Listen to all these podcasts, interviews. But if you want some history, that's the one to go to. I mean, yes, chef's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next, we talked. We spoke with Mando Rayo. I messed up his name in the interview. So Mando Rayo. He's oh, did incredible. you? Yeah. Remember, oh. I said like I don't know what I said. Roya, Roya. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, sorry, Mondo, it's early. Um, But Mondo has a really cool podcast called Tacos in Texas. And he also has a book. Is it the same name? United Tacos. United Tacos. United. Oh my God. Why was I going to say of America? It might be America. He has a lot of great media. (laughs) Sorry, Mondo, if you're listening. Oh, and we've watched it. It's just like the actual name is not coming yes. to mind. Well, he has like a book, a podcast, a show. Like he does a lot in this space and he calls himself a taco journalist. So it's cool that he uses food as an entry point to talk about these bigger conversations. And we were just excited to talk to him because we're like, let's uh, lighten it up a bit. You know, some of this stuff can feel very heavy. So tell us how you, how you have these deeper, thoughtful conversations but by having a taco with someone. So it was really exciting talking to Mondo. Um, and he really talked about how food is a connecting point um, and lots of other great things. What was the word that you had, Nicole? Well, first, let me confirm. It is United Tacos of America is the show. So we were right. Um, and my word for Mondo was storyteller. Uh, you're so right that he did this incredible job of he he leads with fun and food, and so you're for me I was just so charmed and yeah. but then all of a sudden he'll kind of weave in something that's really compelling and politically interesting and he really reminded me that 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 those things can be compatible right you can tell a really interesting and compelling story and make a bigger political or social point. And he was, he was really great at reminding me that those two things can, can be aligned. I think sometimes I think that when you need to learn new things, it sort of needs to be, it needs to happen in this very dry, formal way. And what Mondo really blows the lid off of is the idea that no, it can actually be really fun and interesting and playful and still really grounded and educational and, you know, factual. And so I really, really appreciated that point of view because I, I needed I needed to be challenged to realize that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he also, I have this note that I wrote down that said, why do people want us to separate and stay surfacey? And I think what I was writing there was that 
we do see a lot of like food shows or media shows and they are very surfacey, but it's like you can have that show and also talk about cultural issues and talk about social injustice and talk about um, the struggles that business owners have because they're a minority or whatever it is. Like there's a way to have that lightness and dig a little deeper, which is what his show does, which we really loved because that's how you help move people a little bit out of their comfort zone, which is another thing he talked about a lot was uh, he his shows going to different uh, food trucks throughout Texas and having a taco and going to these places that are like off the beaten path. And I can be a creature of habit, especially when it comes to food. And I was like, you're right. I need, I need to like I, I think I challenge myself in my thinking to get a little uncomfortable, but maybe not so much when it comes to other things. And I was like, ah, I feel I'm feeling the challenge. Like I should go try out that place that I've driven by and not really taken notice of because they're local and I could support someone in my neighborhood and maybe I'll find some delicious food that I love. So for me, it was a cool reminder to try something new. Yes, he's, he was inspiring. You know, and so much laughter. Yeah. It's such a great, but he has that booming laugh that is just so infectious. And um, yeah, I just kept leaning in, in that conversation. Mm-hmm. It was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. And he does a lot of other great community work, but listen to the episode to find out about that. Okay, so let's move on to the last interview that we had, which was which was with Rachel Cooper and Curtis Hills from Every Texan. So Every Texan, we learned, is a think tank and also a advocacy organization. And I don't want to miss, like, they, they do a lot of things. Like, they think about, they literally think about every Texan, about the challenges that families have, individuals have, and how we make better policy to improve people's lives. I mean, that's my take from speaking with them and learning about the organization. Um, and they were just... So like, like I said, we talked a lot about like the root problem, the root problem. I feel like this episode like was like, this is the root problem, people. The root problem is we have all these barriers in Texas and we have to find a way to change policy to remove those barriers or put in new programs that help uplift people. And it's like, ah, so we solve hunger by making it easier to form a union and by raising the feder- or the state minimum wage, I mean federal, but state specifically, by these other mechanisms that we know enhance and improve people's lives. And they have the data, they do the research, and it's like, okay, this is what we got to do. I mean, it's hard, but that's that's the work that they are involved in. So what was your word for this one, Nicole? My word was demystify. I do feel like they demystified a lot of exactly what you're talking about, how to solve these problems. And the folks that they advocate for, you know, it's like, how can you not, right? How can you not say yes to their proposed policies and, um, yeah, I really, they, I, I, the reason why I was starting to think that maybe front lines, I should move to this, to that episode was because it felt to me as if they are super in touch with what's happening on the front lines for people. Um, and so 
I'll stick with demystify, but I will say that they felt very grounded in and well-versed in what it is like for Texans who are living on the razor's edge. And so Mm -hmm. I really appreciated what they brought to it. They, and, oh, and also like I loved Curtis's, they both had incredible perspectives, but I remember specifically when Curtis was talking about how the pulling back of SNAP benefits could affect college students. I had never, I had never stopped to consider college students. And so I was challenged in that moment to really think about how much I've tied the idea of college to privilege. Mm-hmm. And yet the truth is I don't, I don't want to have that conflation in my head because I think that education should be accessible to all people, regardless of your income or your family's, you know, financial stability. So of course college students could need to access SNAP benefits, but that was just really eye-opening for me and brought a new perspective that I hadn't thought of before. So yeah, I really, really appreciated what they what they brought to my consciousness. So I recommend, <laughs> I guess I don't not recommend any episode, but um, yes, definitely listen to that one. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny as we're going through the shows and the interviews, this kind of did put a nice like, I don't know, bow button at the end of the series because we started with, you know, Adam Johnson describing how we don't have a floor here in America when it comes to providing people's basic needs. And something that they said was there should be a floor. And it's like, yeah, there should be a floor that that people should be able to get jobs that are safe, free of harassment, meet their basic needs. And it's like, of course, like this is common sense. Surely if someone is working they should be able to provide for the things that they need. And even that is a little bit challenging, like work requirements. Like we're just so, we're just so habituated to think that like in order to live a good life, work has to be part of that. But like, what if you can't work or what if, what if your work looks different? Like it's taking care of a family member. We just take these things as truth instead of instead of like having a more nuanced understanding of what it means to live a productive life Uh, but but this is why I appreciate our show and our guests because it's like that doesn't feel right to me and talking to them it's like okay y'all are like speaking y'all y'all are making sense and my brain is like okay ah ah (laughs) That's right. <laughs> this is why that thing felt kind of not right. And yeah, not they're right. providing the the understanding of the why, mm-hmm. the why part. The other thing I want to bring up about that conversation was, you know, when you hear these repeated phrases in a lot of different places, but it, it's the same phrase, you hear it in lots of different places, but it doesn't, I, like I hear it and I'm like, okay, okay. But then it finally like resonates. Like I have that aha moment where somebody says it in a new context and I'm like, oh, that's what that means. And when we have the conversation with Curtis and Rachel, for me, that phrase was, this is a political choice. That conversation is the one where that finally like hit for me and really resonated. And specifically, it was when Rachel was talking about our minimum wage and how low it is, right? Here in Texas, what is it? Seven dollars seven twenty-five an hour, which is the federal minimum wage. States have the option to raise that, but we haven't done that. Right. 
And that it was like when she said, I think she specifically said, you know, like that's a political choice. We could raise our minimum wage. That's when that really hit the idea that so many of the problems that we see, so much of what is happening with, um, you know, with the poor, the working poor. Yeah. The idea that that is a political choice just really hit. Yeah. And we talk about healthcare too. I mean, like just, it hits again and again. And right. Again. This yeah. could be different. It could be, could different. be different. And to tie it back to my pretend story, which I'm sure is somewhat true somewhere, but like, like say the little boy trying to help raise money for his dad's surgery. It's like that is a political choice, a choice that we do not have universal free health care for everyone. And and I know that I'll have conversations with my family and I'll be like, oh, well, that's not right. If you start to like pull back the onion a little bit and it's like, right, it could be different. And there's some cities in Texas that will try to pass policies like paid sick leave. And then the state legislator will say, ah, 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 you can't do that. That's that's like a state's rights things. Like we have to make that decision and they'll repeal that local level decision political choices again in action so when you wonder like why are these people coming to work sick it's because it's little political choices policymakers are making and there is a different way to be but uh it it takes like we were saying with dr Lori green's episode that advocacy that fight for a better life Look at us integrating so many of the different <laughs> episodes. Because yes, I was going to integrate, like Adam talks a lot about, Adam Johnson talks a lot about political choices, political choices. And maybe because he is a little more heady, I didn't I didn't quite understand it in the same way until Rachel and Curtis made it very, you know, on the ground level. I could really see it. But yeah, it was really great the way that tied back in. It made mm-hmm. all the things that we'd heard along the way make even more sense. Yeah. So. Yeah. And this is uh, something I wrote, Nicole, um, Rachel, I think it was Rachel that said, we're a great state for business, but not for people. And again, when you were talking about like the markets, like, well, like with the surplus commodities program and the beginnings of the food banking, food bank programs, it wasn't about people. It was about business interest. So we need to find a way to flip that and put the order differently because that's where we're going to start seeing people's lives improve and and just a better society all around. So that is what I'm coming away from by looking specifically at food insecurity and uh, how that is like the entry point to to bigger changes. Like this problem is a what the what's the root problem? Okay. Now that we know, let's make different political choices. Absolutely. And then if you're somebody who's not stirred by that kind of humanitarian argument, then just from an economic point of view, it also makes sense because if you don't have a healthy population to do this work and to do these jobs, these industries cannot survive. Like it, it is also economically advantageous, but right, if we could prioritize, <laughs> could we please prioritize the welfare of people? That would be amazing. Absolutely. And to sort of take it back to the beginning, I mean, something that Adam Johnson talked about was this idea of social trust and the need to have a strong social trust system to have a a good productive government, especially since ours is governed, well, supposed to be by the people. (laughs) We need to 
also have that be more at the forefront that that we're all in this together and when we can build that social trust then then we have more buy-in and we do want to support these programs because we again see the value of caring for our neighbors and and how we're part of this like communal world instead of our little islands which again is a narrative that we've been told which we're seeing is is like not working in many of our favor I would say any of our favor, but yeah. And that would be my argument too. I mean, the truth is, yes, we are connected. Whether you want to be or not, we are. And we share resources and we share, like there's, especially if you live in a city, but even if you don't, right? I mean, like we really are connected. It just cannot be helped. That's just how society works. So yeah, what if we, what if we made that something that we treasure and value and treat with, some forward thinking and yeah, make it the best it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we are so thankful to all of our awesome guests who came and spoke with us about food insecurity in Texas. And Nicole and I have some big things in the works. I know Nicole was teasing this in the mini episode that came before this one. Um, but we're going to be doing a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a revamp, like refreshing the show it's it's going to be like the same DNA, but but a little bit of changes are coming. And with that, like I said at the top, we would love your feedback on what you want to hear more about so we can dig into those issues. The I think the, the mission of demystifying Texas politics will absolutely be there, but more of the structure might change a little bit. So give us your thoughts. Like, is there a show you really love? And you're like, could you guys do this, but for Texas? And we can think on that and see how we can incorporate those ideas. Yes, please, 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 please. Yeah. Yeah. We want to hear from you and yeah. It's so it's weird, right? The these changes I'm saying with air quotes because there are changes coming. It's a little mystery, mysterious what all of that is gonna look like. So that's why we're being a little vague, um, but also wanting to prepare prepare mm-hmm. our listeners. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're excited for what's what's coming down the road and the progress we will be making. So thank you for listening to this episode. We are going to leave it here and we will talk to you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.